Because I know that people will tell you stories when you're out there. Oh, mm. no, come through. You know, they're offering jobs. It'll be easy. With your degree, you manage. Okay. You get here. The same people that told you that are the same people that you just won't even answer your calls. They'll look the other way. They'll shun you. I know a lot of people that have come back, have been here for, I've been back from 2014. That's nine years. Mm-hmm. People still don't have jobs. So the only option they have is to start a business. I started a business with absolutely nothing except knowledge. But it took me a long time. And I know many of my friends are going through that. So it's only now that we're actually settling down nine years later. You are listening to Concrete Pastures Podcast. I am Nancy Mlemoisisi. Being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of my life. It inspired me to create a space that allows for myself and others to share our stories as we deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status. We unlock the joys, the laughs, and the bravery that being a dreamer brings. So subscribe and stay a while as we dive into today's episode. I'm so excited to introduce our next guest. She is my fellow countrymate. She is no stranger to a life of an immigrant. She was such a trooper during this recording, I have to say. We had major technical issues. You'll see, once the video of this conversation comes out on our YouTube channel, she has two different backgrounds. That's how bad it was, but... I'm so grateful she stuck through it and she was able to share her inspirational journey with us. Her name is Mrs. Linda C.S. Mwale. She is the second of five children. Her father is a retired Zambian Air Force pilot and her mother is a retired psychiatric nurse. Having been raised in a military home with her full love and support of her family, her upbringing imparted the discipline, passion, and commitment that make a big part of who Linda is today. Here's what she believes. Most of us can agree that spirituality, family, education, and health are imperative to one living a meaningful and purposeful life. But another facet of life that is just as important is the topic of interest to her, transformation, a process that can sometimes be painful. Transformation is like having our futures cleaned and our belief system shaken and altered. Mrs. Mwale arrived at her important milestone in her journey towards living a purposeful life when she discovered her true self through self-introspection and by taking personal accountability. Today, she is a resourceful coach, counselor, and mentor that empowers and attends positive results. Welcome, Mrs. Mwale. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you so much, Nancy. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for making time for us. I'm so grateful to have you here. It's an honor. You're most welcome. So, uh, like I said in your um, a little bit of the intro, you were here for 10 years in the U.S. of A. And uh, for a lot of us, it's so hard to make that leap of faith to go back home, to make that decision. What got you to, you know, leaving and making that leap of faith to go back home after 10 years? Okay. So I did go to Texas uh, 10 years graduated with a bachelor's degree in PR journalism and a minor in, in uh, speech communication. Nice. I made the decision to come back home because one, my parents were actually helping me raise my son at the time I was a single mom. And um, I also felt the need to, you know, to reconnect with my son because I hadn't been with him for 10 years. 
Mm. Um, I visited Zambia periodically, but then uh, I came to a crossroad, I guess, you know, where I'd, I had to ask myself, what is it that you came here for? Have you achieved everything? My answer was yes. And so I also needed to take care of my parents. I realized they were aging. You know, someone in the family needed to make that decision. And being the oldest daughter, I made that decision to come back and be with them and uh, take care of, you know, take care of my parents. And uh, of course, reconnect with my son. You know, I needed to have that bond with my son. And uh, I guess I was doing some catch up. <laughs> so, which worked out perfect. Yeah. Wow. Since you're talking about your son, how did you maintain that relationship with him? 10 years apart. Um, how did you maintain that relationship <clears throat> with him? And how was it now uh, being in person, seeing him every single day? Yeah, so the 10 years wasn't easy. I'll tell you that it was a huge sacrifice I did. Um, I guess it was for him. You know, I was a single mom, and my parents gave me the opportunity to go out Mm. uh, and get the education I needed. And uh, I had to, of course, trust the fact that my mom and my dad would take care of my son. And um, it wasn't easy. It was very, very difficult. The first two years were really bad. Um, I remember my hair actually fell off. I think I was in a depression, honestly. But my parents kept me encouraged. I've got a very good support system. I called my son like every week. Um, Then I came to a point where I had to mentally kind of disconnect, in a sense, to, to kind of find my sanity, you know, and keep reminding myself I was doing it for him. Um, I had conversations, I think that time, I can't remember what media there was, but um, we connected. Any, any, I think it was Skype, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So my dad, you know, would make sure I could talk to him, the pictures sent all the time. I, I spoke to him on the phone. You know, at the time he was, I left him, I think when I was like one and a half, if if I I can remember that correctly. So in that space, it was always calling my mom asking, how's the baby doing? Then I got to a point where I just had to kind of let it go because I was getting disturbed, you know. Um, And then um, then when he started talking, we could, you know, say the little words, mama, at first, he actually called me Linda, I'll be honest with you. And he called my mom, mom. <laughs> and then he got to a point where I was mommy Linda, and then it was mom. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, um, I kept the pictures going. My parents always updated me. So it it actually felt like I was always with him. And then so when we physically could um, meet when I would visit Zambia, it was almost like a continuation, you know, and um, when I finally did come back, it was it was not easy at first because remember there was a ten year gap, and yeah. my mom was like his mom. Yeah, still is his mom. <laughs> I'd say you know it was almost like I just gave birth to this baby and then yeah handed over the baby to someone else. But um, eventually we 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 built our relationship and now we're besties. Like my son is, <laughs> we're all over each other. So it's, it's good. And my, my parents did an amazing job. Like my son is, ish, uh, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm very proud of him. Very, very proud of him. But I thank my parents for that. Yeah. That's amazing. No, I asked this question because this is a story of so many. Um, yes. Even it almost became mine too. Even when I had my daughter, my mom was trying to help out because the same way mm-hmm. that uh, that's the way I was raised. My mom left us with my uh, grandmother. She, my grandmother helped raise us, and um, yeah. I I just wanted to hear from a parent's perspective because I've never asked my mom this question as to how she was yeah. feeling. You know, because I can't imagine now being me being a parent and not having my children with me. I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. You know, um, thank you for sharing that. It's, it's so many. Uh, it's a story of so many. It's, uh, yes, it uh, is a story of so many. Yeah. yeah. I know that you guys are best friends now. How do you incorporate your values and your parents' values together? Because it's a 10 years that you were apart. 
and how do you connect that because i'm still re- for me i'm still rebuilding my relationship with my mom yeah. because i don't feel like i know her so well because of the times that we've been away yeah. from each other because it's still a relationship it needs to be built yeah um for me um my mom raised me so whatever she must have uh, passed on to my son Uh, was the same, more or less the same. So our belief system would be the same. Of course, the things that would be different. So there was almost a conflict between me and my mom at times. You know, I would tell my son, I, I, I need him to do something. And she would go, no, because she would kind of forget she's a grandma <laughs> and I'm the parent. But then, um, to be honest, I, I, I sat back. I had to first observe what their relationship was really like because I didn't want to show disrespect to my parents. Yeah. And then I slowly fused in my own, you know, until I did. But there wasn't so much to do, honestly, because my parents did an amazing job. And um, I don't think I would trade that for anything, honestly. I, I wouldn't. And um, it wasn't so far apart. There were a few things here and there, of course, But then I had to respect her space as well because remember she was here covering up for me. Yeah. For a long time. So I had to learn to um, understand her point of view mm-hmm. and then fuse in my own beliefs slowly and it worked out well. And a lot of times I find myself consulting, you know, like if I want to make a decision, I do make my own independent decision and now I'm married. So, of course, Christopher... Um, Now he's also answerable to um, his dad um, yeah. uh, that's raising him now. Yeah. So we, we still maintain that respect for my parents, you know. And uh, when there's an issue, I, I do talk to my mom, you know. And uh, ultimately, uh, his dad now, you know, will say what is to be done. And my parents respect that. So I, I think the co-parenting, I put it in that way, is... <laughs> it, It works amazing, honestly. Like, I, I can't even complain. I can't even fault it. I can't... I've never really even put so much thought to it. It just works out well. And uh, he's adjusted well. In the beginning, there are a few things here and there. Uh, because, of course, he needs answers. And I'm worried for a long time. You know, we had those kind of conversations. But as he grew up, it started making sense. I had to be very patient with the son. And... Um, Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I had to back off, you know, and, and let him just be angry if he needed to be angry. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Yeah, but to say he was rebellious, he was bad, he was, no, I'll be lying. Um, I, 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 I always just think God is always present for, for me, you know, uh, as far as my son, you know, he was... He, he was just there. He's been there from the beginning. He's still there. And um, our Christian values have actually helped you know, in raising um, uh, my son. It took a village to, to, to help you know, raise him. Yeah. No, that's, a, that, that, that's beautiful. That's amazing. You respecting his space, I think that's the biggest part, I think, as as parents need to give to our children to be able to experience yeah. their own feelings and when they mm-hmm. experience their own feelings they're better suited to actually even give you the response that maybe you might be looking for or and the respect mm-hmm. to in that way but i'm glad that you did that for your son so mm-hmm. you get to zambia you've met your son and how was it for you to start like settling down and finding the footing in zambia again So when I got back, mm-hmm. I had plans uh, that I'll be uh, an event planner, which I, I did a short course in Chicago, and oh. I was very ready for it. But then I got a rude shock. <laughs> I guess all my plans went down the drain two years into staying in Zambia. Oh, wow. It was, uh, I think I wasn't ready for the market. It, it worked out a few times. Um, I, I didn't own any equipment. Uh, it was experience, knowledge that I used, and I made things happen. But the challenge that I found was that Zambians, by nature, they want to see an office. 
you know they don't want to know that you don't have a place yeah like yeah it's you know a specific place that they could come to a location <laughs> a venue so um unlike the western world you could be seated on your bed as i you know i always say and people still respect you as long as you're delivering yes. zambians you know the culture is a bit different so when um i guess those are things that worked against me i don't think people really cared if i could execute <laughs> yeah so i had to work on a lot of that like now i had to go back to a drawing board i didn't have a place to rent i just came back i just had knowledge experience but no money i guess to start up anything and um so i started looking for a job and i didn't get any luck i think the only job i got I only lasted four months <laughs> Wow. And that's because I don't know. I just had uh, this HR that just I, I guess we just couldn't understand each other. But I thank God for that because that actually birthed where I am today. And all those things that I went through actually birthed, you know, um, my psycho. So I mean, the, the mental health business that I'm doing. You know, uh, going through the psychosocial uh, counseling uh, training that I went through, the life coaching—it actually pushed me to where I am today. So, but it wasn't easy. The journey wasn't easy. I, I didn't just figure it out in a day. It was over years that I'd actually figured out all those um, where I'm at today. You know, so yeah. I know transformation takes time, and. Um when you go back home, I don't know how it is because I've never gone back home to stay. I've only visited. And for you just reflecting and always going to the drawing board, how has that, how was that affecting you and trying to transform yourself? Could you say that again? Um, transformation. Because I know that you had that in your uh, part of your bio that mm-hmm. it's important to transform yourself and part of you moving from uh, here, from the U.S., going back to Zambia, it was transformational for you. Yes. How were you able to do that? Um, looking in, again, always trying to go into, I guess, drawing on the drawing board and changing yourself. Uh, for me, I think um, a major part of it was support, mm. family support. And... Um, you know, it's sometimes you you don't really have a clear picture of what you want. You know what you want, but you don't know where to start from. And I think that's the biggest challenge when people come back from overseas. You know what you want to do, but you don't even know where to start from because you don't know what the market is like. You know, um, you've lost friends. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you've lost that touch with your friends. If, if you left in 1994, you go back, you begin from 1994, and you, your mind kind of functions from that point of view. So I think you're supposed to be connecting with XYZ friends, and they've moved on. I found my friends were CEOs, directors, and then I'm starting at perhaps clerical. <laughs> so I'm already like 20 years behind or 10 years behind. It was kind of intimidating at first, but I just told myself, you know what? Just start from the ground. You know, just start from the beginning. I knew what I wanted, but it took so many years, so many years for me to figure it out. And uh, I knew at some point I would look for a job. And then I got to a point where I just stopped and I I had to ask myself several times, what is it that I really want to do? But it was always in front of me. And what and what was that? I love to help people. Mm. So every time I'd engage in conversations, I'd find the advice I'm giving people would work for them. And I'll feel happy about it. I feel fulfilled. So that was actually the beginning. But I didn't realize that because my focus was on getting a job, <laughs> doing, you know, ensuring that the event planning business worked out. And I kept going in circles for a long, long time. So I, I think 
that that's what it was for me. I see. Don't you wish mm-hmm. God would just place you where you're supposed to be when you need it right away? But he tries to teach you differently. Absolutely. It, it's, it's, it, it was necessary for me to go through those circles because when I went through those circles, it was actually building my character. Mm. You know, I, I would tell you this, like when I came back, I was sassy. <laughs> I think I had the American... The Americanness in me, like you can't tell me this and you that that that. That you knew better. And I had to, <laughs> yeah, and then I had to mellow down. You know, I had to mellow down uh, because in counseling, coaching, or mentorship, you have to be very patient with people. You have to be very empathetic. You have to be, you know, it's it's a lot that yeah. you have to be. Yeah. So there's no way I could have been listening to someone's problem that I'm like, hey, that's your problem. <laughs> no. Yeah. So actually, the, the 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 things that I went through molded me. They really did. And um, at some point, I actually um, had psychosocial uh, challenges myself. I went through depression, mm. you know, and uh, yeah, because I, I, was, I was I was so frustrated. And then for about two years, I, I, I dipped into that, you know. And like I said, uh, family support is everything. And and when you're going through uh, your psychosocial issues or challenges, people actually misinterpret. You know, they'll start thinking you've got issues, <laughs> like, why is she so rude? Or why is she... And, and to be honest, I was very self-absorbed because it was about, you know, trying to figure out things in my mind did I make the right decision? The embarrassment. When am I ever going to take off? When are things ever going to happen for me? Mm-hmm. You know, and that was an an internal cry. And ultimately, it even showed on the outside. I think sometimes I didn't even want to do my hair. You know, and it's just a lot of things that I went through. But I thank God that I have a great support system, and my parents were very patient and they, they stayed encouraged and positive. And I had to be strong for my son as well. So it, it was almost like I was disappointing him, you know. So th- there was that ten-year gap, and then I come back, and then I can't really take off, you know. And then sometimes you're asking friends, you know, you're qualified, but no one is going to help you because maybe they're afraid that you get their jobs or something, whatever their issues were. But I thank God they never gave me a job because you know what? No one can employ me at this point. Yeah, I'm self-employed and I'm so happy. Like, I'm very, very happy. Yeah. No, I, I can't imagine uh, being in that space. I, and it, I think it's why a lot of people still stay in the foreign countries because yeah. of that. We have a whole picture in our head. And then when we get home, first, we don't even want to interrupt our family's lives. Because when we come, we're interrupting their lives. Like when we, whenever we come to visit, everybody stops what they're doing. They are coming to see us and it will be the same thing as welcoming you into uh, your new space now. And everybody's catering to you. And then at some point it goes away and then it's just you now trying to figure it out on your own. Um, Do you feel if you had built a network before you came uh, to Zambia, you would have been much better? Hmm. To be honest, whichever way you go, it's the same door. Okay. I don't really feel if 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 people have actually come from outside, and um, because of their network, you know they they manage to penetrate the market or or get a job, whatever it was, or good for them, good on them. Because I know that people tell you stories when you're out there. Oh, mm. no, come through. You know, they're offering jobs. It'll be easy. With your degree, you manage. Okay. You get here. The same people that told you that will be the same people that will just won't even answer your calls. They'll look the other way. They'll shun you. They'll... I mean, I'm not saying everyone did it, but I think yeah. that's just a need. And that's just realistic. Like, that's what happens i don't know about other people but what i know unless you are well connected perhaps but most people 
I know a lot of people that have come back, have been here for, I've been back from 2014, that's nine years. Mm-hmm. People still don't have jobs. People still don't have jobs, I kid you not. So the only option they have is to start a business. I started a business with absolutely nothing except knowledge and experience. That's it. That's all I needed to do. But it took me a long time to climb up that ladder. It took me a long time. And even when you're trying to climb up the ladder, the very people who tell you, come, you're going to have this to support you, won't even support you. So you kind of have to figure out a lot of things on your own. And that's the reality. I don't know about other people, but I guess that was my experience. And I know many of my friends are going through that. So it's only now that we're actually settling down nine years later. Wow. I even have relatives who've come back and only settling down now. So I guess it's a harsh reality. So I wouldn't even blame people that don't want to come back. But yet again, for how long... You know, would a person really want to be out there? Because we are needed here. But then the question is, if one, if platforms are not really created for people to come back and settle down, and that, that's a big question, then people wouldn't even want to, to come back. They wouldn't. And then they'll be telling us, no, you, you know, you want to stay out there. But if, if for example, I'm the breadwinner, and if I came back at that particular time and I felt out I've gotten the first plane back to America. But I, I was one of the lucky few that at least had, you know, perhaps parents that were okay. Yeah. A family that was okay, you know. Most people wouldn't even settle down. They'll be stuck there, even if they really want to come back. Yeah. And I'm not saying life is bad in America. When you settle down in any foreign country, you're okay. Life becomes okay. Yeah, but obviously we're homesick. We also want to build homes in Zambia or you know wherever people are coming from, because when you reach a certain age, when you start getting to fifty, <laughs> I don't think you want to be doing the same stuff out there. You want to come home to your retirement home, settle down to your grandkids, you know, and just say, okay, I lived in Texas or New York or wherever it was, and now it's time for me to settle down and enjoy. But that's not what's happening. So, yeah. Well said. No, I was actually even going to ask you if you ever thought of uh, during that period, did you think of coming back to America? But you answered that question. Yeah. Wow. Being an immigrant can be hard. Having been away from my home country for over 20 years has allowed me to experience these hardships firsthand. Throughout my journey, I've had a lot of challenges that were hard to bear. Juggling adjustment to a new country, obtaining my immigration papers, getting married, having children, establishing my career, and finding time for myself. Even though I've always had faith, I also relied on therapy, which gave me the tools to cope with the issues life brought me. My fellow dreamers, Let's remove the stigma around therapy and normalize seeking help with today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Go to betterhelp.com slash pastures for 10% off your first month of therapy with BetterHelp and get matched with a therapist who will listen and help in as little as 48 hours. So you started your own uh, business, your counseling business, your mentor. Um, How did that come about? Yeah, so like I earlier said, I wanted, I mean, I I enjoyed uh, helping people. I found myself advising people and things would work out for them. And of course, I'd ask myself, but how come I'm giving advice to people and I'm not succeeding? So one day I, um, I had a conversation with a friend of mine. And I was like, I think I really want to help people 
perhaps if I did some social work, that's what I said. Mm. And um, she says, no, don't do social work for now. I think you do life coaching. So I did the life coaching um, course and I was excited, very motivated and planned out a business proposal and how things were going to be run and this and that and the other. And I started scripting things. I kid you not, I have, I had a lot of unfinished scripted stuff, still wondering what next. I did a freelancing, I had a few clients, things worked out okay, but it wasn't just making sense. Like, okay, so I'm motivating all these people and then what? It just didn't feel right. It didn't sit well with me. Mm. Until one day I had a conversation with one of my uncles who's um, uh, a consultant, he's a medical doctor. He says to me, what is it that you do? Like, pitch to me. Yeah, his name is uh, Dr. Graves Ngogo. Uh, yeah, so he says to me, can you, can you pitch? So I was like, okay. And I was so excited. And I pitched to him. I was like, mm, rubbish. <laughs> And said, what do you mean? And he says, no, you're not convincing me. You know, like, <laughs> have you ever tried psychosocial? <laughs> and I said, well, I've never thought about it. But when I was at uni, my minor was actually in psychology. Right. And then they had some issues with that department of extending more courses. And I thought, hey, I don't think I want to graduate late. So I drifted to speech communication as my minor. So I said, well, I think I can remember some things in psychology. So it wouldn't be bad to do psychosocial. Hmm. So six weeks later, I met him again. And he says, can you pitch? And I pitched. And he says, he just extended his hand and said, you're ready to work with me now. And from that day, I I stopped. I mean, I, I... I didn't stop scripting stuff. Ideas started flowing. And it, everything just started making sense now to me. And that's, and, and, and that's how I started the uh, Lifeline Wellness Connect, which is a mental health uh, business. Yes. So we actually help um, our clients. We, we counsel them. Um, we, we take them through life coaching and mentorship. You know, our... Um, Clients actually from six to all the way to your fifties, you know, and uh, most of the issues are actually drugs and alcohol abuse. Divorce is, is part of it, grief, and there's it's, it's so many things that people are going through. So I have specialized uh, doctors, medical doctors on board, and also therapists, psychosocial counselors, yeah, so that, that's pretty much what the business does. So yeah, so we're growing. We are situated in Kablonga, on Kablonga Road, just right next to Central Mall. Wow. It's a well-needed um, industry in our country, to be honest with you. Um, a lot of the times, people now are starting to talk about mental health. And yeah. it's still a taboo to talk about how you're feeling and how you're actually feeling because nowadays even when you greet someone how are you how are you really it's just everybody we are we have mastered to mask everything and we just say fine yeah and nobody really knows what's happening our social media is part of the contributors of what's happening i was talking to a friend uh, the other day and um, he was telling me about social media. I was not on social media for a very long time. And uh, when he was telling me about social media, I was like, you know, you go on social media, everybody's looking nice, everybody's doing this. And it could be depressing sometimes. I'm like, what do you think I was not on social media? Because you have to understand yourself and some of the things that you can handle. And for some people, you can't really handle certain things. And it all contributes to mental health. Um, Because when you go through grief, you go through a lot of things. And then some people just visually, when they see things on social media, 
um, it triggers them or it affects them somehow. It's like, oh, this person is living this beautiful life and why am I not where they are? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, um, it, it, it's a lot, but I love that you guys are doing that. I saw a little clip on the podcast that you guys are going to be launching soon, right? Yes, we're launching a campaign. It's called Speak Out and Shatter Your Silence. And it was so impartial because when my group and I were talking and then I'm like, what am I going to call this? What are we going to call it? And I'm like, well, when I was going through depression, I just wanted to speak out and shatter my silence. And that's how we started. No, so I, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love the yeah. t-shirt, even though we can't see it now before we could see it. Um, yeah. I love the t-shirt and the fact that there's hands on the, on the mouth. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it, 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 it goes across the board. It's anyone that has been oppressed, you know, people that have gone through different issues, whether a person has gone through grief, divorce, sickness, whatever the topic is, whatever a person might be going through, we're saying to you, you speak out, shatter that silence so that you're free, you know, yeah. No, that's amazing. Um, I can't wait to even hear the podcast and how... Uh, I think it's going to be transformational to a lot of people. And I think it will. I think it's the beginning of a huge, huge initiative. Yes. So aside from, aside from that, we also have uh, our IPTG, your interpersonal uh, therapy groups, support groups, you know, where we, all, um, we have clients sit together, we pick a topic, we discuss, you know, so... Let's say, for instance, you have a child on drugs or mm. alcohol abuse. We're not just talking to the children or the person who's, you know, who has the challenge, but also to the to the caretakers, the parents. You know, it could be a person um, who's sick with a terminal illness. We talk to the caretakers as well, because you know it takes a toll. And uh, while these people are also going through something, they need the support. They need. Uh, there are people to be educated, to be supported, because it's not easy. You know, it's not easy to take care of a person who's sick. You know, you, if that person equally needs counseling. So yeah. we'll, we'll start all these programs very soon, some in March, some in April. You know, we're going to do capacity building, team building, you know, your financial literacy uh, training for even um, the, not just a corporate entity, but for, for, for kids as well. From ages of six to all the way to 18 years old. So we have a lot, a lot of programs that we'll be running. We're also going to be going to the communities to do our, you know, um, the trade, um, what do you call it? Words are escaping me. I think I'm growing old, Nancy. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so I just had my own moment, so don't worry. Yeah, so, so trade trade placements and school placements where we pick uh, some children uh, or some youth, rather. We'll do a pilot of about six uh, kids from different uh, uh, income brackets, especially the low-income brackets, your OVCs, your orphans and vulnerable kids. Mm. Um and then we, you know, we, we mentor them. We, we take them through our interventions of counseling, mentorship, life coaching. And then we, we place them where they can be educated or they can, they can be placed in a trade. But it's a lot of stuff that uh, they'll, they'll have to go through. A lot of training, you know, a lot of grooming, etiquette, etiquette classes and stuff like that so that they can fuse into... Um, you know the, the 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 public sector or you know society, and 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 they they can be self reliant, and ultimately they can also become um, uh, brand ambassadors for 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 mental health. You know because that that's a big thing right now. So yeah. No, we, you definitely need a lot of advocates for uh, mental health, and uh, starting with the children. Um, yeah. Early on is better because I had a rude awakening going through my healing process after separation. But yeah. when you separate and you have children, I didn't realize that my daughter had a different healing journey that she had. And it's, it was not the same timeline as mine. And for me, just like I really, truly like tuned into myself and focused on myself because I needed to show up the right way for them. <clears throat> so after yeah. I, showed, I felt like I was stable in my healing journey, 
Then she also came up and told me how she was feeling and how the separation was affecting her. It was so heartbreaking for me because I don't mm-hmm. think if when you're going through a separation, a lot of parents realize how it affects the kids. We know that it affects them, but to what extent? So dealing with kids, I think that that's really amazing. Yeah. So like, like uh, you, you actually made a valid point. So, you know, one of the things that we also recognize is exactly what you just said. When, when parents are going through a divorce or, you know, or, or there's, you know, a child loses a parent, we're yeah. focusing the widow or the mother, you mm-hmm. know, if it's of a divorce, mother, father, no one is paying attention to the kids. Yeah. And even when when they're told, no, take the kids for counseling, no, no, they'll be okay. And then they compensate with money or games. No, yeah. they're human beings. You know, they, they, they equally want to be heard. They want to grieve. They want to ask the questions. They want answers. So it's very, very important to, to you know, to to uh, be aware, you know, and, and, and that's something that I'm very intentional about. Even, even people who commit crimes, the perpetrators, you, you know, you have rape victims. You equally have to talk to the person who raped the person, you know. Yeah. Who, 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 yeah, you have to. They equally need the counseling because there's no one who's born bad or no one who's, who's born thinking, oh, I'm going to do this. Unless they have maybe a medical condition that I wouldn't know, I'm not an expert. So what I'm saying is uh, when you're a, um, a victim and and you understand that that person, yeah, we'll, we'll probably look at that person as a bad person. But if you begin to also understand that that person has got psychosocial issues or they need help, Oh, you know what I mean? It it actually helps with the healing, and I've been in in you know um, a victim of such, mm-hmm. you know, of, of like I said, the psychosocial uh, issues, and I've come to understand that uh, my healing, my journey, um, uh, started when I, I I identified that the person who hurt me or the people who did whatever they did actually did have a problem, and and they needed help. And that's when my healing started. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you'll be absorbed in why me. And you never move on. You know, we are all deserving of, of, of beautiful things and a good journey and for, you know, just being free. So how you uh, move on is entirely up to you. No one can ever convince, convince you. You and myself, our own rehabilitation. It starts from us. When you decide, that's when things begin to happen. You know, and and I think, yeah, I don't want to say much, but that's what it is. <laughs> you know, sometimes when it, when, when you are um, in that dark space, I'll take you to where you are at your depression. When you are in mm-hmm. that dark moment and... You, I guess you don't see any way how or no. whatever. Um, how do you get back to connecting with yourself? Because that's the part where people don't really, uh, like emotionally, how do you get back to that point where you're emotionally connecting with yourself and coming out of that dark space? Yeah, so for me... Um, what I wanted wasn't working out. And of course, I had other issues. Um, you know, like I said, I'd left my son. Um, I fell off, uh, you know, of, you know uh, a bad relationship. And there's just so many things going on in that space, that uh, th- those earlier days. So now when I dipped into this depression, I just wake up to... If someone doesn't tell me to drink water or eat, I wouldn't do it. It's like I came, I was locked in a space. Mm. And my mind was just in that space where I constantly asked myself, why? (laughs) That was the only thing that made sense to me. Why can't I get a job? Why did I get rejected? Why this and why that? 
And that's the only thing that made sense every day. But I don't know what happened one day. I, I honestly don't know what happened. I don't know whether my stomach hurt, and that's when I started having gases. I don't know what happened. That's when I realized how did I get myself here? There was a point of realization. When did I get myself to this? You know, and, and then I, then you look at your child. When was the last time I had a conversation? I've been so absorbed, so obsessed, so like everything just stopped making sense in my world until one day I realized that some people wouldn't even realize it. You know, some people lose their lives. But I guess, I don't know. I guess God just had a purpose for me. That's all I can say. And in that moment when I realized, that's when the change began. You know, so I said, okay, let me try one more time. But this time, it was a conversation between me and God. Hmm. And I said, you have to take me out of this. You have to. You brought me here. I don't know why I came back. So you have to lead me. I've lived in shame. I've gone through all this. And it wasn't one month. It was like two years. People don't look at me the same. Some people are laughing. And it's almost like God shuts your ears huh? and says, just listen to me. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter how much, what, how people define you. It doesn't really matter. What is important is how I define you. And it's not the job that will get you by. It is the works of your hands that are blessed. And that's how my journey started. Slowly. It didn't mean I didn't fall down again. I did. But this time, I fell down with the confidence that God was going to pick me up. And that's how I started my journey. And I've never looked back. Never. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, there's so many stories like that. I, um, I myself have been in that space. Um, I just wanted for you to share um, how you were able to come out of that. It is anybody who's out there listening or watching, um, you know, there's always tomorrow. There's always tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They can get up and they are able to see the light the next day. What has been the, I guess, the the feedback or the experience for you uh, speaking and coaching uh, all your clients? How has be, how has that been for you? Yeah, you see, with counseling, it's inevitable that people will relapse. But for me, I think the extent to which they relapse matters. You know, mm. so I would say most people that come through me, through me, if they ever relapse, it's not as bad as they came in. I would say that. But for the most part, I would safely say at least 70% of my clients are okay. And I have a lot of people coming back saying thank you. A lot of people do come back. And um, when you are counseling them, it's kind of like equipping them with the tools to survive. You know, They're not dead yet there. But when they come through the life coaching, they say, hey, she's tough. I'll fight for you. I never give up on people. I fight. And I'll ensure that the person sees the best version of themselves, whether you like it or not. So, yeah, the journeys are never easy, but we get there. And most of my clients are okay now. We have a few people relapsing. Yeah, maybe because of medical issues. You know, um, maybe they're not taking their meds or, you know, they've gone back on drugs, something. But when I look at the children that come through, your ages between 13 to about 18 years, most of these children, it's, it's, I'm sorry to say, it's the parents, it's the environment, it's a support system, Mm. you know. You have a child telling you, my parents are not together and I'm upset. 
when you need the parent to come through for counseling, so that we have the group therapy, the, you find the father, for example, because men usually would, want, would not want to be questioned or come to counseling because they think mental health issues don't happen to them. They wouldn't want to support the child. So at that point, there's little that a facility can do. The child will relapse. But then you have some parents coming through and they'll support the children and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll live okay. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll still come back, you know, um, to give a testimony that, you know, the kids are healed and that kind of thing or they're doing well, you know. It's a journey. I, I, I put a charge to it for, this, for your six weeks and then after that it's free for life because I know that counseling cannot end at two weeks or a month. It's a journey. So when we talk about one topic this time around, let's say if, if uh, the issue is alcohol, mm-hmm. maybe when they, they, they finish all that and, you know, they're okay, the next will be marriage. So we're, we're journeying with you. So we're not letting your hand go, you know, because we realize you need mentors. Everyone needs a mentor. Everyone needs someone to go to. Yeah. Everyone needs someone that at least they can account to, you know, they can be accountable to. So... So that you improve yourself. I have I have mentors too. And I go to them and, and we chat. I even have sessions that you know, one of them is a doctor and I call him, Doc, it's time to talk. Okay, Miss Mwale, Mrs. Mwale, when are we gonna talk? And when I go there, I even turn off my phone, I'm like, we're talking. And I vent and I say, What well, everything I want to say, and then we align. Okay, now doc, so what else? And we find solutions together. And then I move on from there. And it feels healthy. You know, your your mind has to be sound. Yeah. It has to be balanced. And we, we there's no way any one person can do it alone. It's not true. We all need someone. We all need someone. Yeah. It seems like the, the women are more receptive to getting help compared to the men. What do you think that is in, uh, like, I think in the whole of Africa or even the world? Yeah, I think for me, women will open up, but how many people are really expressing their truth? Very few people. So we can only express our truth when we're ready to to be helped. So I can sit with you and just say what I think you should hear, but I'm not really telling you the truth. I'm not really opening up to say women are expressive, but it doesn't mean they actually open up and say everything. A lot of times women hide also. They're not going to tell you that they're being abused. You see? Mm Yeah. Yeah. Men, on the other side, I think for me, it's privacy. Why should people know about what I'm going through? I'm a man. I'm I'm supposed to be tough. I've been told not to cry. I'm this and that. So there's stigma around that. But when they come for a counseling, men break down. Men will cry. And it's okay. Because that's the beginning of your healing. You know, everyone needs help. And if we're a society that's not going to, um, let's say, just be open about it, we're damaging ourselves. Because if, if I'm not going to heal, what kind of a son am I raising? He's feeding off my negativity. My son did feed off my negativity at some point, and I had to fix it. When I realized and I came out of it, I had to start fixing these problems. And part of it was talking to him and being real. You know, and we had to start this journey together. We had to start, you know, um, I had to forgive myself. I, have to, I had to also know that he's forgiven me. And then we said a, a real talk journey. And we've, ever since, it, it has never stopped. We talk, you know, we're very open with one another. Of course, I'm still mom. I'm still tough. I'm a very tough mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's when it comes to school. I don't play those games. He knows. Yeah. Yeah, I whip with my mouth. Yeah, I'll tell him. I discipline with my mouth. Yeah. I've never beaten my son before. I've never given him a whooping, but we can. I, I respect him. We sit down. We chat. 
I am mommy when you're not listening. When the grades are bad, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm something else, you know. And But he understands that. And we even have this, why do you think I'm talking like this? Not because of this. Is, and how are you going to improve it? You know, those kind of discussions, like an adult. Yeah. You know, but your typical African is, eh, yeah, your big head, yeah, a cow, yeah, you got, yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you start insulting your child, which is not okay. <laughs> it's not just have conversation. And that's why to encourage you know, the parents had come through. Oh, have conversation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. In our time when they call us that, it was, okay. it was almost like, okay, we're used to it. It's okay. You know, but this time, not these children. You yeah. miss it. And if you, if, if, you, if you don't build that rapport with them before 18, then that's it. They're gone. The internet, the friends will become their parents. And that is not a joke. I kid you not. Yeah. The parents who come through and they're desperately wanting us to help them because their kids are hooked on drugs or their kids are being rebellious. The story goes on and on and it's not good. It's not good. Yeah. No, you guys are doing an amazing job. I'm I'm positive you guys are going to change a lot of people's lives. It's this is needed uh, in our country, and um, it's going to be an amazing, an amazing journey that you guys. I can see it already. Once I see the ad, I saw the ad. I was like, oh my god, this is going to be amazing. Like, yeah. And it's, uh, it's at the right time. So many people went through um, so much during COVID and still are. Mm-hmm. And it's going to come in very handy for a lot of people. So it's six months payment that you guys do, right? No, no. You, you, you're talking about the payments? Yeah. So it's six months payment or, or no, they pay for weeks. six months? Oh, six weeks. It's six weeks. And then after that, it's free. Oh, wow. Six weeks? Yes. And after that, it's free? Weeks. It's free wow. for life. Wow. And you can come at any time you feel like. Wow. That's amazing. Thank you. No, that's amazing. I thought it was six months, but still even six months, half a year, free. Oh, no, six life? weeks. Just six weeks. Yeah. And for those that can't uh, afford the full payment, the payment plans, it's affordable. Do you also do um, virtual? Yes, we do virtual, but I usually like seeing people in person, or my doctors actually like seeing people in person. But when people are very far, we've had a lot of clients from outside, a lot okay, of clients. So that, that's that's what yeah, I'm asking so we, for. Yes, we do the we've virtual. Been, we've been listening to all over the world, so in case like you know our Zambian community, if they feel comfortable with. No, we do virtual as well. We do. Mm-hmm. Our fellow Zambians, then you know they can reach out to you guys. So oh, virtual. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. And same way, like family coaching and every, everything. Yes. We don't just do the counseling, but we also do training as well in, in, in uh, different counseling. There's psychosocial, there's marriage counseling. We train people online and in person as well. No, oh, that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So what, got, what gets you motivated doing all of these amazing things? What gets me motivated? Mm-hmm. I find my own healing when I help people. That's what motivates me. That's what gives me reason to wake up every day. You know, because I need to change lives. I need to make a difference in people's lives. And like I told you, I'm very desperate. When people are going through something, I'm desperate for their healing. So I fight for them. I fight for them. So I can't afford to give up because people that were around me never gave up on me. So, yeah, I feel like everyone is deserving. You know, they need a chance. We shouldn't have people committing suicide mm. or losing their lives to drugs and alcohol, you know, or like until God says it's over. We can never claim ourselves, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's very painful to find other people go to that extent, you know, because they didn't get the help, the medical help or, you know, or whatever it was that they needed. You know, because they couldn't get a job, 
And it's painful, you know, when you're in that space. And even just the shame, just asking for money. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or when you're asking, people are like, they're shunning you. But when you die, everyone's contributing. You know that principle? It's yeah. It's sad. Yeah. It's very sad. So that's why I can never give up on people. I can never give up on a person at my doorstep. Never. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. So at this point, have you found your concrete pastures? <laughs> you have to remind me again my success story. Your success? Yes. <laughs> I have found it. I've found my success story because I'm living my God-given purpose. Mm. I've arrived. And there are a lot of other projects that I'm working on, all mental health related. Yeah, so yeah. I've, I've, I've found my success story. This is my success story. And I'm living my best life. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. How can people find you guys? How can people sign up if they're interested in signing up? How can they find you guys? All right. They can call me or call the, our um, our line. Lifeline Wellness Connect. We're found in Kaplonga, on Kaplonga Road, right next to Central Mall. The number is 097-205-7394. We're on all social uh, media platforms. Uh, we work 10 to 16. Uh, yeah, I guess... That's how they can find us. So we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram. Yeah, we're on all social media platforms, so they, they, they can reach us. I'll have everything in the show notes, so anybody can just click and they go to your page. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, anything <laughs> else that you want to add that I haven't asked you? Well, I don't know, Miss Mansi. When are you going to come and visit Zambia? (laughs) So that you can come and see what we're doing. Uh, I think soon. Soon. um, I'm going to put it out there in the universe that soon. Okay. Yeah. No, be more than glad to see you and meet you in person. Yes, and I actually would love to to even participate in some of the charity work you guys are doing. I think you're doing phenomenal. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes, yes, we'll be looking forward to that. We have lots of things that we're doing in 2023, a lot of things. So people can actually follow us on our social media and uh, just listen in, especially when uh, the podcast is coming through very, very soon this month. I'm excited about it. (laughs) It's real stories, real life situations you know, adding people tools and so on and so forth. It's 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 brilliant. Yeah. yeah. It's it's realistic. That's what I call it. It's it's real. Listen, yeah. I I think when we have like real people coming in with their stories, we can all relate. Even if it's yeah. one line, two lines, whatever it is. It's like, oh my God, I went through that too. Just listening yeah. Yeah, sitting down and uh, you telling your story. There's a lot of pockets of things that I can relate to that you went through. And yeah. though I'm here, I went through it. And it, 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 I know what it is to be in a dark space. Yeah. And it doesn't mean when you come out of it, you don't have those moments. You still have them. You just know how to handle them at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay. I'm, I'm not going to be in the same place, but um, I can. I know how to handle this much better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone will have a trigger point after, mm. but the most important thing is to be aware and to know how to handle it. Remember, it's a journey. It's not a quick fix. It's not magic. Trust me, I thought yeah. it was. A, I was like, I'm healed, I'm done. And then I had a wake no, out, another like awakening. I'm like, oh my god, no, where am I back here? <laughs> It's not a quick fix, but eventually you give it a chance, you'll get there. You will get there. You will heal. And you'll be able to help people strongly because I tell my stories without even shedding tears. Oh, yes. It's a lot, yeah. And that's, you know, that's healing. But it doesn't mean you will not have your trigger point. You will have your trigger points. It happens. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it does happen. 
No, yeah. definitely. Thank you so much, my dear. Mm-hmm. Going to lay back home. I'm, I'm grateful to Aaron for this connect. This is um, yes, connect. I'm grateful. Absolutely. So I was saying in closing that look out for my book. Oh, nice. I'm working on a book. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll look out for that for sure. Yeah. And when it's ready, please share with it so we can share on our platform as well. Absolutely. I'll do so. That's it for this episode. Thank you again for lending us your ears. It's truly an honor to save each and every dreamer. You can continue to support us by liking, sharing, and following us on our social media pages. The links are all in the show notes. We have so many exciting projects and ventures in store for you. Until next time, keep dreaming.